working. All right. So um, welcome to another episode of Bitcoin Tech Talk. This is where I read my newsletter that I send out every Monday. It is uh, uh, September 6th. Uh, it's Labor Day and I am here recording with you all. So anyway, let's uh, let's get started. Moral hazards of central leadership. Bitcoin Tech Talk issue number 256. As always, you can get this at jimmysong.substack.com. I left my church about a year ago in large part because of their promotion of some doctrine that I disagreed with. I recently met with some people that also left that church and found out that the elders of the church reversed course and no longer were supporting that doctrine. The catch is they never announced this to the church and essentially washed their hands of the whole thing. On one hand, I'm glad because that particular piece of doctrine was clearly wrong and I want my friends that remain there to do well. In another sense, though, I'm angry because they won't admit their mistakes. This is unfortunately the norm today because everyone in any leadership capacity is afraid of looking weak. Admitting mistakes is a good way to give ammunition to your opponents and as a result, the truth becomes a casualty to political expediency. At heart, this is the problem with almost every centralized institution, that the leaders care more about power than they do about the good of the people they supposedly lead. This is most obvious in large organizations like governments. Entire bureaucracies are set up and defended in order to not look weak. The Department of Education, the Department of Energy, and the Transportation Security Administration are just a few of the many mistakes that our leaders refuse to own up to. What's worse, once such bureaucracies get entrenched, they have their own momentum in the form of rent-seeking dependents who keep, which keep them going despite their clear lack of value. Unless large financial pressure is brought to bear, and sometimes not even then, the organizations rot from the center. And indeed, because of the ability of government to print money, this rot is particularly bad. I know that you, dear reader, know this. Big organizations have lots of rent seekers, corruption, and theft. What else is new? Isn't politics a part of normal, everyday life? I'm writing this because the problem isn't politics per se. Politics is an emergent property of something else, namely that of public property. Whenever there is ownership shared, we get struggles for power, ladder climbing, and all the intrigue that, get, uh, that is associated with politics. Even in small organizations, decision-making generally centralizes around a few people. Those few people, whom we call leaders, may be part owners, but also get to make decisions on behalf of the entire community. And this is where we get moral hazards, since the leaders can benefit themselves at the cost of the community. The benefits don't have to be that great, and the cost paid can be pretty dear. Case in point from earlier, leaders often keep stupid programs going because they don't want to admit to mistakes. This is how we got to where we are with the current financial system. The whole system is chock full of moral hazards and leadership positions, therefore become very profitable. Unsurprisingly, this results in giant wealth inequality, which leaders blame on everything other than their own decisions, and the public is deceived via propaganda. The reason centralized systems have such high failure rates is because people are not saints. Too many leaders take advantage of moral hazards and don't even blink twice. Some would say that this is the explicit goal of most leaders. Decentralized systems are more moral specifically because it takes away the moral hazards of leadership positions. All right, so I, I wrote this article in regards um, to just sort of centralized power and this 
whole idea of absolute power corrupting absolutely. Um, as soon as you get to a leadership position, um, you you get uh, this very obvious moral hazard that comes into play. And it is very difficult to avoid that moral hazard because it is very tempting to not just enrich yourself, but maybe your family, your extended family, your friends, other people, uh, things that might even be virtuous, organizations that you think might be good or um, you know might have benefits to other people. But ultimately, it's all based on your own judgment and not necessarily other people's. Um, and that this is where leadership uh, tends to become a game of abuse, right? Uh, whenever you have public property, um, whoever becomes a leader can and oftentimes do, you know, take advantage of that property for their own gain. And this is this is the ultimate problem uh, is is this idea of public property and why private property and sort of like decentralized systems um, tend to do a lot better. Uh, you can think of public property as um, a, 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 as the ultimate in centralization uh, and private property as the ultimate in decentralization. All right, let's talk about Bitcoin a little bit. For potential Bitcoin core contributors, Josie Bake has written up a testing guide for the 0.22 release. This is a great way to get started on testing a Bitcoin core release candidate and a good exercise in getting to know a lot of the functionality that Bitcoin has. The guide covers connecting to Tor, using a hardware in, uh, interface, and much more. Highly recommended for those that want to learn some of the interesting newer features of Bitcoin Core. I, I, I really hate this narrative that Bitcoin's not doing anything. If you look at this testing guide, it is chock full of new stuff that you uh, that they want you to test, including uh, you know various ways in which you can um, you know uh, do. Uh, stuff over Tor and hardware wallets and stuff like that. It, it's all there and it's uh, it's constantly adding new things like that. Um, you know, try looking at that for like Ethereum. How many hardware wallets does it support? It's usually on, it, it's like a hosted wallet. It, it doesn't have its own wallet even really um, that, that interacts with hardware. So I, th th this is what Bitcoin is like and, uh, and that testing guide is excellent. Uh, and if you're interested in contributing in some way, uh, say you're a tester, um, you know, you can go through the guide and test a bunch of stuff. Jeremy Rubin explains a bug he found and put in a pull request for. The post explains that what no op codes are, how CSV was uh, previously a no op and how that wasn't handled properly in the mempool code as there are bits from the sequence field of transaction inputs that are not currently used, there's potential for them to mean something later. His pull request is essentially fixing this. So th this is uh, in regards to check sequence verify. And basically Jeremy is saying he uh, found the bug and he put in a pull request for it. And this was like based on something else that he wanted to do. And as he was writing a test for it, he found this. So good on him. It gives you a idea of what core devs do um you know oftentimes the code changes aren't that big like it, his amounted to changing one line of code uh but you know that that's what you have to do right like th this why like having lots and lots of code is generally a bad sign because you have to comb through a lot in order to figure out what's going on um 
And, you know, uh, Bitcoin, in a sense, is becoming more secure all the time due to, to, due to these things and uh, make, it's, it's hardening. This is the software development process and software lifecycle process. Braidpool is a potential peer-to-peer -peer mining protocol to displace the largely unused P2P protocol. Uh, P2Pool protocol. Uh, the concept is intriguing in that it's using lightning channels to do the actual payout. The actual protocol uses a directed acyclical graph to figure out the shares that each participant found and use that to compute the percentage of the reward. It's an intriguing method as most pools are based on trust relationships between the mining equipment owner and the pool operator. Um, so if you're not familiar with mining pools, uh, the way they work is that you submit shares and those are sort of like mini proof of work, uh, not quite enough to get to the actual proof of work, uh, but certainly like low enough numbers and you submit them to the pool and the pool basically pays you out on, on the number of shares that, uh, that you found. Now, like confirming that and making sure that you're getting paid the right amount, that's all based on trust relationships, although there are uh, pools that publish, uh, you know, all of the different, uh, you know, shares that were found and making sure that your share was there and so on. Um, but it's based on a trust relationship, a, 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 a non-custodial, non-trusted way of doing it, I think would be a lot better. Uh, and there are lots of weaknesses to the P2 pool protocol because they use the Coinbase transaction to pay people out. Uh, but then that's block space that you're not using to include other transactions and get fees and so on. So um, this is uh, this an intriguing proposal, and it may end up putting in some sort of decentralized uh, mining pools, which would be really kind of cool. Uh, but I think the idea needs a lot of development and a working prototype and a bunch of other things before it work, uh, before we can see it in the wild. Uh, but it, it's uh, the paper itself is pretty interesting and has some really interesting properties. Congrats to Marco Falke on becoming the core contributor with the most commits. He's been a maintainer for about five years now, and he's as tireless as they come. So um, he uh, just to be clear, he he's a core maintainer, so he'll do a lot of merges and things like that. Um, he's merged a bunch of my commits, so I'm very grateful for him. Uh, in, in doing a lot of that. So he, he's a, um, I think he was a grad student or something when he started. So uh, really cool uh, that he's uh, been contributing. I think he has a grant from OKCoin. So good for him. Um, may, uh, I, I hope he continues and uh, con uh, to contribute. And I really appreciated his efforts. I recently discovered a whole newsletter dedicated to Bitcoin privacy that publishes once a month. Many of the topics have been covered in this newsletter, but some have not. I would encourage any privacy advocate to subscribe to that one as well. So that newsletter is like uh, Bitcoin privacy, uh, this month in Bitcoin privacy. Um, so really good stuff. It covers a lot of the uh, you know topics that I would cover, but maybe in a little more depth and so on. So I would encourage you to... Uh, subscribe to that if you're interested in Bitcoin privacy uh, tools. Lisa Nega details what a potential miner attack on Lightning would require. Her article starts by describing what miner extractable value, MEV, is. This is mostly a term from Ethereum as miners there are able to reorganize the Ethereum blockchain for profit. Lisa asked the same question for Bitcoin miners and whether reorganization would ever be a profitable proposition given the economics of lightning channel closes. 
Her conclusion is that the information necessary to profitably reorg the Bitcoin blockchain is rather hard to come by and is normally only valid for channels opened by the miners themselves. So um, her her conclusion is interesting because a lot of the information that you need in order to do in order to profit is actually private on the Lightning Network. And unless you're, you're one of the end nodes, you don't actually know what's going on in between and so on. Um, so for a miner, it might be possible, uh, but they would have to have a tremendous amount of lightning channels open directly to them and then screw over just their neighbors. So um, it's an interesting idea and, uh, you know, it, it would require a lot of setup and a tremendous amount of planning to do some sort of MEV. But it's good to know that it is possible um, and something interesting to watch out for. Twitter seems to be beta testing lightning tipping. This was popular about two years ago with tippin.me, but that app seems to have mostly stopped. Native tipping functionality would be very interesting as it would provide natural civil resistance. My tweets are bombarded by obvious scammers and anything to prevent those would be very welcome. Something like a 100 sats per reply or quote retweet that gets refunded if I don't block them would be ideal. I really hope this happens. And um, you know, I, I think a lot of people are seeing it as a way to, you know, tip creators and stuff. But for me, the more important thing is to prevent scammers because they absolutely ruin the platform. Um, there are, you know, literally dozens of uh, imitators of my Twitter handle um, that are scamming people left and right. And, you know, I mean, a lot of people have lost money and stuff. Um, putting some sort of lightning uh, channel into it, like to message or to even like create an account or something like that or get like a green check mark instead of a blue check mark saying that you paid for it or something like I think would prevent a lot of that and like, uh, uh, you know, forcing replies or whatever to um, to have, uh, you know, to pay or to stake some sats. Um, and then if, uh, you know, like after 24 hours, it's fine. But if it's uh, within the 24 hour window, you get to keep it if they don't do that. Well, I mean, this would this would stop a lot of spam. And I think that would be amazing for Twitter. So I'm hoping Jack Dorsey goes in that direction. Thundercloud is a way to host lightning nodes cheaply on the cloud. This is not a turnkey service, but it's reasonably easy to get everything going. It is somewhat subject to the whims of your cloud provider and cloud is really just a synonym for someone else's computer anyway. Regardless, for digital nomads that want to experiment with Lightning, this may be a good option. So um, it's it, it's basically a single line, uh, command line thing on uh, that, that will provision AWS and stuff. And if you're already sort of like a DevOps person that has an AWS account and everything sort of set up, then it's it's basically a one-liner that'll that'll spin up everything and make everything work. Um, so really interesting. Uh, though you know, I, I really think you shouldn't run those things in the cloud. You should probably run it on your own computer. Lightning Network has its own jobs board. I'm struck by how many roles are available and not just developer jobs. There are tons of different types of roles, and it's very clear this is a growing industry. Just looking at the amount of stories that are not Lightning Network related in the past month or so, there is significant traction and a bright future ahead. So, um, you know, I, there, there's a lot of jobs in Lightning right now, uh, and a lot of it is, you know, marketing, sales, you know, public relations, also like business partnerships and business development. 
you know, lot, lots of different things and not just developer jobs. Um, typically, everyone wants developers because they tend to be rare and expensive and difficult to find and all that. Uh, but, you know, Lightning Network, all those companies are hiring like crazy. And there is going to be some serious traction on this stuff. So if you guys are interested, you should go check that out. Uh, Fold is planning to pay out all their rewards using Lightning starting in 2022. This is probably a way for them to reduce fees while also making for a better user experience. Fold is one of the more popular Bitcoin products out there, and it doesn't surprise me that they're getting into the Lightning game. Now, if only they'd allow deposits to their de debit card using Lightning. So I really like that they're paying out in Lightning. But what I would really like is the ability to fund my debit card with Lightning and basically not have it linked to my bank account or anything else. That way I could have a pseudonymous uh, fold card that I can I can just use wherever and it would be used to pay for, um, you know, things. Um, I'm not sure if that's even allowed, but that that would be amazing because then you would have anonymity in your real life transactions. Like if you go to the store or something like that, um, you know, just swipe the card and they don't have to know a lot of stuff about you. Economics, engineering, etc. Zach Vowell explains why ASIC machines are starting to go up in price again. As Zach explains, the prices correlate with the Bitcoin price pretty well, but the main reason seems to be that a lot of Chinese miners who have been kicked out of China are sitting on their ASICs instead of flooding the market. They are hoping either for hosting facilities to materialize outside of China or for the price to keep going up so they can slowly liquidate their machines without suffering a big loss. I find their optimism both bullish and worrisome. It's, it's possible that their competitors may dump a bunch of coins on the market in order to get them to capitulate and sell. Um, and it's bullish in the sense that the miners are anticipating sort of opportunities later on as price continues to go up. So that's bullish. But at the same time, this gives incentive to their competitors that already have uh, you know mining facilities and so on. Uh, to force them to liquidate. And these, these are sort of like the international games that go on between big corporations all the time whenever there's a commodity. And you can hurt your competitors uh, while hurting yourself less and gain a bigger long-term advantage. A lot of them will do that. OPEC certainly does and many others. Uh, so that that's the worrisome part, but we'll, we'll see what happens. This is a really interesting story of how Bitcoin and Tether are affecting Lebanon. And uh, as the economy there has collapsed, Tether has become the go-to remittance option for a lot of people there. Given that it's pegged to the dollar and the dollar is the, most, uh, is the currency most desired by most people in the world, this makes sense. I suspect that this is a, the pattern that we'll see is that we'll start, uh, is that most, I suspect that this is the pattern that we'll see uh, and most people will start with some stable coin and pivot to Bitcoin once they get used to it. Yeah, uh, so Lebanon apparently is a huge hub of crypto trading. I'm hearing that about Afghanistan, Turkey, Nigeria as well. Um, it really does seem like this, this cycle, um, there's a lot more usage in sort of hyperinflating economies. Um, none of them are quite in hyperinflation yet, but they're all getting prepared and it's only going to become more popular as the inflation continues. Congressional candidate Erica Rhodes, Democrat, makes the case for better financial education and better Bitcoin support. Her candidacy is particularly interesting because she's running against Brad Sherman from CA30, 
who is a well-known advocate of the dollar hegemony and a huge Bitcoin opponent. For Bitcoiners, this will be highly uh, a highly anticipated race as her winning will send a big message to everyone in Congress that Bitcoin is not to be trifled with. Um, so her article on uh, Bitcoin Magazine basically uh, makes her out to be very pro-Bitcoin. And I would love to see her defeat Brad Sherman. I know a bunch of people are funding her, her candidacy. Um, and in that district, the Democrats going to win. So you pretty much have to primary uh, Brad Sherman. And she seems to be the right candidate. Uh, she, I think, was an Andrew Yang supporter and so on. So it'll be very interesting to watch that particular race because uh, this is how you get lobbying power is by punishing the people that are talking bad about you. So if you can punish Brad Sherman, there's a lot more people that will listen. All right. Peter Hanley has written one of the most intriguing articles on the origin of money I've seen. He argues that rendered animal fats were used as money because of their clear utility in prehistoric times. One of the consequences would be human greed at work, essentially uh, hunting large animals to extinction because of their high fat content. Given that many peoples of various regions are very much cognizant of hunting too much, this thesis makes a lot of sense. Worth reading for those that like pondering monetary history. So the theory there is basically that um, rendered animal fats were used as money for a while. And uh, because of that, human greed, uh, you know, took over and they hunted the animals to extinction because you can get a lot of rendered fat, especially from the large animals. Um, and there is a, a large, uh, you know, uh, corpus of academic studies showing that basically like, uh, you know, uh, humans killed off a lot of megafauna. So it's a very intriguing idea. I, I don't know if I buy it, but, you know, it's it's worth thinking about. Jerry Fang has an entertaining article on why everything of value is really energy of one type or another. I really enjoyed the framing, which was about preserving value over time. He connects some technological advances such as salted meat, refrigeration, oil, and so on to show why Bitcoin has significant value. Good article to reflect on. So storing value um, has typically been very, very difficult. And, um, and you know, Bitcoin sort of represents that. And energy usage is always uh, a, a part of preserving value. And this is why all those technologies came in. So uh, an interesting read. I would encourage you to go read it. Um, Bram Cohen's invention, Proof of Space and Time, seems to be a flop. His coin, Chia, has dropped almost 90% against Bitcoin, and many of the miners are selling their SSTs, as the link story shows. Much like Grin and other Mimblewimble coins, VCs seem particularly susceptible to innovative-sounding coins with a technical founder. I don't think they've realized that the, that it's really all a marketing game to retail and tech has nothing to do with it. Um, so Bram Cohen is obviously a pretty brilliant guy. He, he created BitTorrent um, and his uh, his newest project was uh, the Chia coin, which was proof of space and time, essentially like proving that you own, uh, you are storing some amount of data or something like that. Uh, in, on a hard drive, and basically that that was the alternative to proof of work. Um, it did, it, and all these Chinese miners bought a ton of SSDs. A lot of VCs uh, fund, uh, you know, um, you know, tried to mine it and funded his startup and stuff like that. Um, it's a flop. It, it's uh, reduced ninety percent against Bitcoin, um, and you know, it, it continues like that. 
And this is something that a lot of VCs are sort of uh, susceptible to. Um, you know, they they look at the, they think only of the tech and that's it. Oh, this is cool tech, therefore I'll invest. Uh, they don't realize it's all uh, like all coins are a marketing game. That's it. It's it, there. There is nothing technical about it. It is all marketing, and whoever does the best and most marketing wins. And uh, that's uh, that's been borne out because Ethereum is crappy technology, and they have a large market cap, whereas uh, you know something like Zcash or Decred have pretty good cryptographers on staff, and they they know what they're doing, but. They have a very low market cap. I'm not endorsing any of those, by the way, but I mean, it, it just shows that that's not what this game is about. And that's unfortunately um, the case. Uh, like they, they don't realize it, that Bitcoin is really the only thing. All right, quick hits. Vast is the first U.S. bank to offer Bitcoin buying and custody. So interesting that a U.S. bank is actually getting into the Bitcoin uh, custody game and maybe uh, even an exchange. IMF, unsurprisingly, thinks Bitcoin is a bad idea. Um, they've been writing things like that for a while now, um, and they continue to. A New York Times reporter made an altcoin called Idiot Coin, and yeah, it moons. So uh, that that's an amusing story of how altcoins sort of take on a life of their own. Another week, another DeFi hack and government regulation action against an altcoin. So... Uh, you know, Uniswap is being uh, investigated by the SEC and the DeFi hack was cream finance. Uh, but th this is happening like all the time, right? This is why I put in a quick hits because this is just so common. Another year, another Chinese crackdown on Bitcoin. Um, yeah, th this also happens like every year. Um, they kicked out miners earlier this year. They banned Bitcoin like 80 times and Banned exchanges, banned this, banned that. Um, they they just keep doing it, and this is uh, probably in uh, in preparation for a CBDC of some kind that will give them unprecedented amounts of control. All right, some events. There's an online Christian conference that I have recorded a video for called Faith Driven Investor Conference. That's on September eighth and 9th. I will be uh, in Miami for the Oslo Freedom Forum, October 3rd through 6th, and in Atlanta for TabConf on November 4th and 5th. Unfortunately, I had to cancel the event in the UK as there's a 10-day quarantine required. The Programming Blockchain Seminar is in Atlanta, Georgia on November 2nd and 3rd. This is a two-day seminar for programmers to learn about Bitcoin. You can apply or apply uh, apply to get in and, or apply for a scholarship obviously the scholarship is more selective uh but that, that uh, it is available and if you want to learn from me that's where you go all right some podcasts etc on this week's bitcoin fixes this i talked to doug stewart about christianity and libertarianism we talked about why christians should consider libertarianism and how it fits in with bitcoin I read through last week's newsletter, which you can find, and I talked about the new book with Invest Smarter, Mission Bitcoin, and Charles Moskowitz. Um, so yeah, and uh, you know that's obviously the book. Thank God for Bitcoin. I have two other books: uh, the Little Bitcoin book and Programming Bitcoin. Unchained Capital is a sponsor of this newsletter. I am a proud advisor and part of a company that's enhancing security for Bitcoin holders. If you need multi-sig, collaborative custody, or Bitcoin native financial services, learn more at unchained.com. Fiat the Linda S. This song is done.